0: Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for NFL Week 12. So Matt and I are going to do this a little bit different this week. Uh, I know we're recording this Wednesday night, but we're still going to preview the three games for Thursday's Thanksgiving slate, and then we'll go into the regular games for Sunday. So I guess if you're listening and you don't want to, if it's already past Thursday, then Matt will have a time scam so you you could just skip ahead. So. For the Thursday slate, obviously just the three games. The first game is the Minnesota Vikings at the Detroit Lions. And uh, I think the one thing that people are going to overlook from this game, people are going to see the touchdown equity of Latavius Murray from the last couple weeks and just think that he's the superior play over Jarek McKinnon. McKinnon has played more snaps in every single game since Cook has, since Dalvin Cook has gotten hurt. So I don't really think it's a slam dunk that just, oh, Murray's the better running back play. I think the opposite. I think that uh, I think Jarek McKinnon is the better play this week, and he should play more. What is the Vegas line for this game, Matt?
1: Okay, the line for this game opened at Pickham, and now the Vikings are up to two and a half, sort of three-point favorites. It's kind of going back and forth, and the over-under is holding steady at 44 and a half. The public is pretty split on this game. So it's pretty clear that the Sharp Money likes the Vikings. They're just a better team than the Lions, and because they're favored, they're more likely to have the late-game running scenarios. I'm going to guess that Murray gets more of those carries at the end of the game, but I think I still agree with you that McKinnon's the better play. He catches more passes. He is playing more snaps. I'm never against an argument that McKinnon is a good running back. He's one of my favorite players in the NFL. So personal bias also towards him. but
0: You liked him before he was good, though. You only liked him when he was bad.
1: That, yeah, that kind of happens sometimes. I like when players are underrated, and then when everyone likes them, I don't like them anymore. Uh, but McKinnon still seems to be underrated a bit, so I like him. I guess I just like him less now. But I, I do think he's a good play this week. And then something we were talking about before we started is that the pricing for the Monday through Thursday slate is actually a bit different than for just the Thursday slate And on the Monday to Thursday slate, McKinnon was more expensive and Murray was less expensive. But for just Thursday's games, the price gap is much narrower. So I think McKinnon's only a few hundred dollars more expensive now. Murray's at $4,900 and McKinnon's at $5,200 on DraftKings. You're basically paying the same price for one or the other. It really just comes down to which running back do you think is the better play. It's kind of just independent of price. And I think we both agree it's McKinnon. So... You could probably argue that both of them are worth rostering, but if you had to pick one, it's McKinnon.
0: Yeah, I prefer McKinnon. I think most people are going to prefer Murray. And yeah, just kind of the same stuff I said. The other thing also is McKinnon's involved in the passing game, which Murray isn't. McKinnon has, uh, how many targets is it in the passing game? Like, I think a lot of people will just look at the carries and say like, oh, Murray gets more carries. Okay, that's true. Except the last three weeks in the passing game, McKinnon has seven targets, two targets, and ten targets. So that's that's a lot of pass volume. Also, from the running uh, from the wide receiver uh, end for Minnesota, there's Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs. I think Thielen's 7600. That's really expensive, but still, I think Thielen is the better play than Diggs, just because Diggs is likely to be guarded by Darius Slay in the slot. So that'll open up Thielen to just really face weaker defense on the edge and. I think that I think Thielen should have a really big game. And the other thing also is his target shares, nine targets, twelve targets, ten targets, twelve targets, 13, eight, eight. He's he, he's basically a lock to get to like eight to thirteen targets. So that's a, a lot of volume for Adam Thielen. He's a really safe play. And then Case Keenum also fifty three hundred, that's really underpriced for him as well as he's played recently.
1: Yeah, I might not be that high on the Vikings passing game as a whole because Detroit on defense is a lot better against the pass than they are against the run. They're 11th in pass defense DVOA, but 22nd in run defense DVOA. Keenum's price is too cheap, and I guess Thielen is too expensive. This is only a three-game slate, though, so it's not like you can just target the sheer values in terms of expected points per dollar. It doesn't really work like that. You need to sort of, if you're playing GPP, kind of leverage the ownership and Thielen might be high owned but I don't know I'm kind of going back and forth here because he is really expensive and there are just cheaper wide receivers that are in pretty good spots so maybe he doesn't end up being that highly owned
0: I think he'll be the highest owned wide receiver
1: well I don't know Keenan Allen's coming off of this huge game and the Cowboys defense has been so bad so I'm I'm gonna predict that it's Allen and then Uh, yeah
0: that's fair I'll say it's probably I, I think it'll be Allen one and then Thielen two
1: but maybe it's kind of just spread out where there isn't any one receiver that's over 50% owned, Like we saw with Julio Jones on the Monday to Thursday slate, maybe they're all in the 30 to 40 range. Cause there are several receivers to choose from the lions have a few, the Vikings have two guys that are good. So it is definitely safe to go with Thielen. The floor is very high for him. The upside is always high. He's just been really good this year. So I think it's kind of a, a fair price. And if you, if he fits within your roster, go ahead and use him. But I'm not particularly excited about using him.
0: Yeah. um, I mean, three-game slate, so I I still think he's one of the top wide receivers to roster. From the Detroit side of the game, uh, Detroit, I think, is going to have the toughest time scoring of any team on the slate. Uh, Matt Stafford at 6,000. Like I, I think that Case Keenum probably is a higher expected point output than Stafford, and he's considerably cheaper. And then from... The Lions wide receivers, uh, let's see, Golden Tate at 6,200. Yeah, I mean, I think there, there's guys who are somewhat usable here, like you could throw in Tate or Marvin Jones, but I think Detroit is, probably has the toughest road to scoring fantasy points of any team of um, of the six.
1: Yeah, and because Tate and Jones are such consistent producers and they've had some big games, both of them have had, had a few monster games this year, I don't think that the matchup will deter that many people from using them there are only three games so it's not like you're going contrarian to pick them i'm definitely going to be off tate and jones just there are better picks the vikings receivers are better picks i agree with you on keenum over stafford so i like the vikings passing game as a whole more than the lions passing game it's probably the worst situation to roster for passing offense galladay could be a decent high upside flyer just because there's a lot of talent there, and he's going to be on the field a bunch, even as the third receiver. He's only 3,800. So if you're rostering a lot of other expensive players, then I don't think he's the worst play, but I'm not going to be using Tate or Marvin Jones.
0: All right, so next game, Chargers, Dallas. I have a question for you. Uh, If you're paying up somewhere, would you prefer to roster Adam Thielen or Melvin Gordon?
1: It's a hard one. I think Gordon will be higher owned, so I'm going to say Thielen and i also think there are just more obvious other running back plays so i'm i think i'm going to be off gordon since i don't really think his expected output is that much higher than some guys who cost half as much or roughly half as much as him melvin gordon just we we both have we've talked about this a lot this season he's just not that good he gets the ball a ton but he's just not that good of a running back so even though the cowboys are 30th in run defense dvoa it's still a road game, and he's really expensive. So Thielen over Gordon for me.
0: Okay, I think uh, yeah, I think if you were to ask me who's going to score more points, I think Gordon's a safer bet to score more points. But just because of roster construction, it's Thielen. Because I think that there are a lot uh, of cheap running backs that are in really strong spots. Yeah, I think that's so, the main
1: reason there for me, too. It's just there there aren't as many good wide receivers as there are good running backs to use.
0: So Chargers-Dallas, obviously, monster game for the Chargers last week. Has that swayed the public at all in how they're betting this game?
1: It's weird because the public actually appears to be split, and I don't want to go too much based on the public percentages, who's betting on which side. Since the betting volume on Thanksgiving games is, is extraordinarily high, it's just... If you're a football fan and you're watching these Thursday games, you probably are betting on them. I mean, maybe you're only playing DFS, but I'm guessing that a lot of people do both. So if you just look at the bet ticket counts, these are just really popular games, and it sort of of negates any public bias that's apparent on either side. So if you look at the spread and money line breakdown for this Cowboys-Chargers game, it's kind of just 50-50 because there's so many bets on both sides. But the line movement has favored the Chargers a lot. Maybe that's some sharp action, maybe it's some public bias, but the movement from plus one to minus two and a half is a pretty significant one, and I would like to say it's just recency bias after how good the Chargers were last week against the Bills and how bad the Cowboys have been lately, and especially on Sunday night against the Eagles. I guess I'll say it's a combination of the public and sharp money, but clearly the money is going on San Diego. Yeah. Or, and well, Dallas. I can't call him San Diego. Uh, that's that's the one part of that I need to correct. <laughs> the, they're, it's going on L.A. It's it's the Chargers. If that confused anyone.
0: Yeah. Big old man move by you. there, are calling yes. calling teams by where they were in your day, how you remember them. Of course. but The Dallas Cowboys, th- not a good defense at all. 24th in defensive DVOA, 21st against the pass, 30th against the run. So this is a strong spot for the Chargers offense. Uh, even though I prefer Thielen, it's hard to say that Melvin Gordon isn't in play in this spot because still going up against the 30th-ranked uh, rush defense. And then, obviously, Keenan Allen at 7,300. Uh, he's going to be very popular, but I think he's a fine play. I think something to keep note of is what are the injury reports? So, Travis Benjamin is currently questionable. Uh, Mike Williams is also questionable. If neither of them play, then... There's going to be a lot of targets going the way of Terrell Williams, who is priced at uh, thirty-four hundred. So that's a really strong value play, actually. If both those guys are out, uh, and Mike Williams not really that much, um, he doesn't really sway it that much. It is really, it is more to do with the status of uh, of Travis Benjamin. If Benjamin can't play, then I mean, it's just going to be a lot of targets for Keenan Allen and Tyrell Williams. And then, obviously, Phillip Rivers is going to be in play from the Cowboys' side of the game. um, I think the strongest play is Alfred Morris at 4,800. So, Morris hasn't been scoring a ton of fantasy points. But if you look at his game log, uh, he had 17 carries for 91 yards last week. The week before, 11 carries for 53 yards. So, he's been really efficient when he's gotten the ball. Just... Obviously, he hasn't scored a touchdown, which is going to change. He's going to score a touchdown at some point, especially how many touches he's going to get. So at 4,800, Alfred Morris, I think, is a really strong value play.
1: Yeah, Alfred Morris is my favorite player from this game overall. I think the Cowboys' running game will be undervalued because the public does seem to think that the Chargers will win and that game script will favor the Chargers. So there probably aren't too many people that think Dallas will have a late lead and be able to run out the clock, but they are only two or two and a half point underdogs. So it's not out of the question that they'd be winning at the end of the game, but Morris is just too cheap in general. So I like that move a lot. And then the injury news on the charger side, definitely significant for their passing game. Hunter Henry also um, pretty cheap for a tight end. He's cheaper than Witten. He's just I, let me pull up the exact number because I think it was in the mid 3000s. Hunter Henry's at 3,300 and he's been more expensive than that in recent weeks. He was in the 4000s a few weeks ago. His price is trending down.
0: I think it's also because he hasn't, I don't even think he's getting targets.
1: His targets haven't changed too much. Uh, he had a couple bigger target games in the beginning of the season, but he's still, he's had a couple games with five targets or so recently. I guess he he probably expects to get more targets if there's those receiver injuries, though, right? Like, he would have to be someone who benefits also if Travis Benjamin or anyone else doesn't play uh, in the Chargers passing game?
0: Uh, yeah, it's just kind of more because he plays and Antonio Gates also plays. So if you look at the last three games, Gates has had two targets in each of those games, and then Hunter Henry has had... Uh, five targets, two targets, two targets. So it's just kind of like they have two guys who they use a little bit as opposed to a lot of teams who just have one pass-catching tight end.
1: Well, if there are a couple of receivers that don't play and then maybe the Chargers announce before the game that they're going to go with more two tight end sets or something, then that's something to monitor. But uh, with the game we'll get to next, Jordan Reed's been ruled out, so the tight end pool is a little bit shallower than we thought going into these games there just aren't a lot of tight ends to use. It's kind of just Evan Ingram, who we're, we haven't talked about yet. But we didn't even mention a tight end from the Lions-Vikings game. I don't think there's anyone really interesting there. And Jason Witten is it, just like, kind of okay. I would okay. rather use
0: Kyle Rudolph for Chief than Hunter Henry, because he gets more targets. Kyle Rudolph, I think, had 10 targets last week.
1: All right. I'm, I'm glad we're, we're circling back there, because yeah, we I think we uh, both so, just forgot uh, about tight ends in that game. Howard,
0: well, I, I, I'm not really that interested in Rudolph, but I'm not interested in Hunter Henry either.
1: Yeah, this uh, this probably is a big Evan Ingram week for both of us, so I guess we'll just go on to that game.
0: Yeah, so, uh, well, the other thing also is I like Vernon Davis a lot this week. Oh, so, yes, with readout. So, Vernon Davis, 5,500. The Giants have given the Giants have given up a touchdown to a tight end every single <laughs> game so far this year except for last week. The Giants also didn't give up a touchdown last week, so that's uh, a lot of the reason why they didn't give up a touchdown to a tight end. But uh, Travis Kelsey still had over 100 receiving yards and, like, six catches last week. So it's not like the Giants held them in check or anything like that. The Giants give up more fantasy points to tight ends of any team in the league. So I think Vernon Davis and Evan Ingram are pretty clearly the two top tight ends to use on the slate, especially because from the Giants' side, Sterling Shepard is currently listed as questionable. It looks like he's kind of trending towards not playing with the migraine issue. So if he doesn't play, that's going to be a lot of targets for Evan Ingram. Like It's hard for me to justify really using a tight end outside of Davis or Ingram.
1: Yeah, I think I'll probably only roster Ingram and no one else from the Giants, assuming Shepard is out, because I think the Redskins defense is probably the strongest defensive play. Maybe the Vikings, but I feel pretty good about rostering the Redskins at home against Eli Manning. Giants are definitely turnover prone. The Redskins are the most expensive defense, but I think the expected output is just higher than any other team by a substantial amount. So if you're rostering the Redskins defense, obviously you're not going to use a lot of opposing players. Ingram is a is always a safe bet at tight end. I guess last week it didn't really pan out, but with such limited options, I like Ingram. I agree with you on Vernon Davis, but I'm pretty low on the Giants offense overall for Thursday night.
0: Yeah, uh, one guy who I think does make sense for the Giants for cheap is going to be Tavares King at 3200 If uh, Sterling Shepard isn't able to play, King the last few weeks, five targets, four targets, six targets, that's a decent amount of volume for a cheap wide receiver at 3200 and then just from the Redskins side of the game, there's so many good targets. Perrine is uh, probably my favorite running back on the entire slate. Kirk Cousins is my favorite uh, quarterback. And then you've got uh, Jamison Crowder, 5,400. That's too cheap for him, considering that his targets last three weeks, eight targets, 11 targets, 13 targets. Uh, and then just the fantasy points, to 26, 12, 15. So uh, overall, I really like the Redskins offense in this spot. Uh, you can, Definitely go Onslaught-type stack to them. Redskins defense, Crowder, Davis, Perrine, Cousins, just load up on them. I, I It's a three-game slate. I don't think that's a bad way to go. Uh, how big of favorites are the Redskins in this, ga- in this game, at?
1: Well, you took the word right out of my mouth. I was just going to ask you if you'd like the Redskins Onslaught stack, so the answer is clearly yes. Uh, the Redskins are 7.5-point favorites, kind of hovering between 7, 7.5. The public is towards the Redskins side, but, again, it's just not that significant for the amount of volume that's on these games, but they're they're the biggest favorite by far of any any team on this three game slate. The total is forty five, which is roughly the same as all the other games. So it's definitely the most lopsided game. And if you're using Perrine, you it kind of makes sense to just use the Redskins defense for that correlation play. But since there's value on all of these players individually anyway, Perrine's too cheap. Cousins, Vernon Davis, Crowder, I guess. Yeah, why not go for the Onslaught stack and just use them all together?
0: Yeah, I think the uh, Redskins are definitely the top team on the slate. So we'll get into the main slate now. So uh, mark down the time, Matt. Mark okay. It down.
1: It's done. And we
0: can help people. It has all right, been it's done. done. All right, guys. So now we have week 12 for the main slate. After talking about the Thanksgiving slate, everybody who listened, I'm sure that you won a million dollars. Actually, probably not because that's not even one of the options for this week. So $2 million, we'll say. <laughs> So everybody won $2 million this week and probably stopped listening. To the, there's no need to listen to the podcast if you already won $2 million. I don't know.
1: If they did it with our advice, then they probably need to listen to the podcast even more.
0: Yeah, keep listening. Keep listening. All right, so first game on the slate, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Atlanta Falcons. This should be, uh, I would imagine, one of the games with a higher expected point total. Um, I'm thinking... Yeah, there's a couple games that should be higher scoring, but this is a really good spot for the Falcons' offense.
1: Yeah, I think the Falcons probably have the highest expected output of any team, uh, if you take into account the point spread and the over-under. The Falcons are 10-point favorites, the over-under's 49. They're coming off sort of a mediocre offensive game in Seattle, where they had some pretty good field position and scored on defense, so they didn't really have the ball much against the Seahawks. But they're, they're in a really strong matchup, and now they're at home. Matt Ryan is not that expensive, and I think people might be down on Julio Jones after he's had what seems like several games in a row, just kind of lackluster performances. But I still like Ryan and Julio for this matchup.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then from the Tampa Bay side of the game, uh, we have Fitzpatrick still starting that kind of has me off them a little bit doug martin's still really cheap but he hasn't done anything 7400 is too much for me to pay from for mike evans in this matchup against the falcons and then from the Falcons side yeah the matt ryan to julio jones combination makes some sense uh muhammad sanu at 5200 I'm, I'm checking how many targets he's gotten recently because it seems like a lot from watching the games uh Nope, it's incorrect. He had three targets last game. I think he got all of those on the first drive because uh, I remember him scoring a touchdown. And that's pretty much all of them. Five targets, three targets. So I don't really think is a strong play, 5,200, which I thought he was for a hot second there. <laughs> and then uh, Tevin Coleman at 6,500 I think is fine just because I expect Atlanta to have the lead in this game and then to be running the clock out late. And he basically got all of the work at running back for them last week. Against Seattle, he had 20 carries for 43 yards, so not very effective, but also had the touchdown. Only one catch, but generally I think that he is capable of being more involved in the passing game, but 7-Coleman I think is a fine play 6,500.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of a fair price. Teron Ward, who is the backup now, has had 15 carries over the past two weeks, so it's not like Coleman's getting 100% of the touches, but he is getting plenty, and they should be winning late, so I don't know, He's he's definitely pricier than he's ever been. I don't think it's a great play, but I do think it's a decent, usable play. So I guess we'll have to see if there are better values elsewhere. If it's if it's a slate where you don't have a ton of cheap running back values, then I think Coleman's fine, but we probably can do better than that.
0: Okay, let's see if we could do better. I don't think we're going to do better in the next game. Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals. And uh, one more time to remind Matt, the Cleveland Browns really good against the run and really bad <laughs> against the pass, because that's the first thing he always asks when we start looking at the games. He can't remember. He, he, he always goes, Browns, they're good against the run and bad against the pass. Or He'll get it wrong and he'll always ask me about it. So uh, top one of the top teams by DVOA against the run and just total dog shit against the pass this year. So with that in mind, what is the Vegas line map?
1: Well, you're you're now the one underselling the Browns' run defense. They're actually first in defensive DVOA against did the. I,
0: did I just did I just say it backwards? No, no, no.
1: You said it in the right order, but you said they're one of the best run defenses, and I think we can actually say that they are the best run defense. So it's it's a very severe. It's a very severe difference between their run defense and pass defense. The reason it always jumps out to me is cuz I'll look at the opposing running back's price and see that it's really low and think, "Wow, if only the Browns were bad against the run, this would be a great spot." But I guess as you said, the reason that the running backs are priced down is because Cleveland's good on run defense. So, yeah, let me uh, let me mention the Vegas info and then I guess we'll get more into the specific players. The Bengals opened at as 9 point favorites. The line's actually been bet down a point or so to 7.5 or 8, depending where you look. And the total for this game is at 38. So there's not really a lot of reason to like any offense here. I think there is a case to be made for the Bengals passing game, but other than that, I don't think there's anyone that's that usable.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, the issue with the Bengals passing game is just the prices. Like It is a plus matchup, except Andy Dalton's not been particularly good this year, so he's at 6,000. I think that's okay. And then we have A.J. Green priced all the way up to 8,000. So it's a plus matchup, except it's it's not like they're some kind of like good value spot. I think that didn't they play them earlier in the season? They were like way cheaper. But actually, AJ Green was 8,600 when they played earlier oh, in the well. year. But Andy Dalton, I think, was really cheap. Or maybe I just totally remember him <laughs> wrong.
1: I I sort of remember Dalton being cheap for that other game too. But maybe we're just right. He was, right. was
0: 5,800, so a little bit cheaper. Uh, but not as much cheaper as I thought. But the other thing also is. So even though the Browns are much better against the run than the pass, they're still they're 24th against the pass, number one against the run, overall it's the 13th ranked defense. So I, I don't really think that it's as good of a spot as people would think of it to be overall.
1: Yeah, I guess the one spot to target uh, in that first game against the Browns, Tyler Croft had 68 yards and two touchdowns, and the Browns are bad against the pass, I think that they're kind of struggled against tight, They not kind of, they're the worst team DVOA-wise against tight ends in the NFL, and Tyler Croft is only 3,900, so he's probably my favorite Bengal to roster, but for a lot of the reasons you said, this game's pretty uninteresting overall.
0: All right, so I'm on the slate. Uh, oh, this is a super uninteresting game. Uh, the Tennessee T- actually, I don't know about that. I'm going to take that back. The Tennessee Titans at the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, what is the Vegas info for this game, Matt?
1: Okay, so even with Jacoby Brissett listed questionable, we do have Vegas information. The Titans open as three-point favorites. It's kind of staying around there, trending up, I guess. Some anticipation that Brissett won't play, and the total's at 46. So it's a pretty good spot for the Titans, and then I guess the structure of this game changes a bit if Brissett isn't in the lineup.
0: Okay, so my first thought was just the Titans are not good, uh, or at least in general, their offense hasn't been good. Marcus Mariota has definitely been one of the more disappointing players this year. I think that he's a relatively interesting GPP play for this week with Corey Davis, seven targets, ten targets last couple games. Then we have Richard Matthews, six targets, seven targets, seven targets. Matthews is 5,100. Corey Davis is 4,900. And Marcus Mariota is all the way down to 6,300 for a matchup against the Colts, who are... Uh, where are they? They're the bad. They're
1: somewhere bad.
0: 26th in DVOA, 27th against the pass overall for the year. I think this is kind of like uh, an uh, oh, an under-the-radar, really high upside spot that I don't expect people to be on. And I, I think that the I have very little confidence in Marcus Mariota, and some of this is biased because of getting burned by him in the past this year. I think this is a good spot for pretty cheap price tags.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think if you're making multiple GPP lineups, I would certainly have a stack of the Titans in at least one of them. It's hard to say that I don't think either of us can say we're even remotely confident that it'll work out, but there's a ton of upside here. The prices are cheap. If you had said that these prices would be what they are before the season for the Titans in a matchup against the Colts, I think we would have just, just jumped all over it. If the Titans were at this level going into week one, they probably would have been our favorite team to use for that week. So it could just be a really good buy low opportunity. Maybe if you're not buying into the Titans being as bad as how they've played. They did uh, sort of have a decent offensive game in Pittsburgh on the Thursday night game. And also they played on Thursday. So they've had, by Sunday, they'll have had a week and a half off. I guess that helps a little bit to have a little bit more rest. But I think the bottom line is that the players are all just too cheap, especially Corey Davis. I think he's the number one guy out of this team to roster, but I'm, I'm comfortable using all of them in some GBP lineups.
0: And let me see, what is the status of. I think Delaney Walker had missed some games, not even on the injury report. Yeah, so uh, Delaney Walker had been on the injury report. I actually think Delaney Walker is a really strong tight end play at 5,000 because his targets from last few games nine targets, nine targets, five targets, ten targets, eight targets. For 5,000, I think that he's a reasonable tight end play. And then I think that Matthews and Corey Davis are also good players at wide receiver. I just wish I could say with confidence that Marcus Mariota was, would look anything like he did last year. But I think that the one thing that there, that we could be positive about is that Marcus Mariota has looked really good at times in the past. He just hasn't shown that form at all this year.
1: Well, I would be a little more optimistic, and I guess we can't rule this out yet. If Brissett plays, then it's more likely that this game turns into a shootout because I'm not as confident in the Titans passing in the fourth quarter if Scott Tolzien's at quarterback. I would say I'm I'm 0% confident that the Colts will be winning at the end of the game if Tolzien is the starter. So Brissett playing, I think, actually helps the Titans passing game because there's more of a chance that they'll need to throw late. And if you're stacking the Titans side, it also helps to be able to use someone from the Colts. So I'll definitely be higher on this game if Brissett plays. I think it brings T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle into play. Otherwise, I'm very low on the Colts offense.
0: Yeah, def- I mean, def- definitely off the Colts offense if Scott Tolzin's playing. Um, that is more than fair. And even if Brissett's playing, I don't think I'll be super high on them. Uh, but they would make some sense in a game stack. So, next game, this is going to be uh, an interesting spot. The Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, The Bills today decided to name Tyrod Taylor as a starting quarterback. I think it's ridiculous that they were even considering going back to Peterman, which I would have really enjoyed that. If they decided that, hey, we're playing Peterman, that would be the ballsiest all-time tank move because uh, Peterman had five interceptions and a fumble in the first half of last week and didn't even have that much volume. He just really sucked. So what is the Vegas info for this game, Matt?
1: Okay, this is a strange one because – As bad as the Bills were last week, the public is actually on the Buffalo side. I really don't understand this. Well, I I have some speculations, but the Bills are 10-point underdogs. It's Kansas City minus 10, and the total is 46.5. And I guess it could just be that the Chiefs looked so bad offensively against the Giants that that's the overriding factor for most people. That was, I guess, a nationally televised game if you live on the East Coast, So maybe people directly saw the Chiefs lose to the Giants. And for that reason, their ownership could be a bit lower. I think it is a pretty sneaky good spot for Kansas City where there are some higher profile games. There's some huge favorites here. The Chiefs aren't quite as big of favorites as some of these other teams. So Kareem Hunt's probably a good play. And I think the whole Chiefs offense is in consideration.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that... Uh, So Kareem Hunt, I have definitely been on the wrong side of Kareem Hunt quite a few times this year. I like Kareem Hunt a lot this week. The Buffalo Bills run defense has been atrocious without Marcel Darius. They've given up just enormous run games basically every single week since they traded away Darius. So Kareem Hunt, I know he didn't have a great fantasy point outing last week against the Giants, but he's still playing a lot. He had 18 carries for 73 yards three catches for four yards. It's also worth noting last week that he had two long uh, catch plays that got called back for holding. He had, like, a 15-yard run that got called back for holding. So if it's not for those situations, like, it's possible that we would have seen Kareem Hunt would have been, like, over 100 rushing yards, which he would have gotten the bonus from that. Like, those couple of plays probably cost Kareem Hunt, like, six to seven fantasy points, and then plus could have put them in position to score a touchdown. Obviously, the Chiefs didn't score any touchdowns, so he... He didn't find the end zone in that game. It has been... How long has it been since Hunt scored a touchdown? He hasn't scored a touchdown since week three. So through three games this year, Kareem Hunt had six touchdowns and then zero touchdowns in every game since then. So there's a little bit of bad luck involved in that. Like, I'm on board with Kareem Hunt this week. If he burns me again, so be it. I think he's a really strong play. And then from the Buffalo side of the game, I think Tyrod Taylor 5,800 is a pretty reasonable play. Um... He is, uh, obviously, his fantasy points from last week aren't going to look spectacular, except he only played half the game. Well, actually, he still scored 20 fantasy points in a half of football, so <laughs> that's, that's actually pretty impressive. Like, Tyrod Taylor is definitely better than Nathan Peterman, and he's shown upside as a fantasy player before he was top 10 in DraftKings scoring for quarterbacks last year. And then from the wide receivers, it uh, looks like Calvin Benjamin is going to play. looks like Jordan Matthews is questionable. Uh, so he's going to have nobody to throw the ball to, so we're just going to have to look to see who is actually active for the Bills wide receivers, because I think there could be some cheap guys that have value. We're just going to have to wait to see who's playing, because everybody's kind of listed as questionable right now.
1: Well, I think I'm probably off Tyrod Taylor. It's a couple reasons. I don't think he'll be that contrarian, because like you said, he had a really huge game in just one half of a game.
0: But I don't even think it's the contrarian point. I just think he's a good play against a bad defense, and he scores fantasy points, so... The Chiefs' defense is, uh, where are they? They are 25th overall in DVOA, 20th against the pass, and 32 against the run.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think he's a decent play, independent of ownership. I just think that there are going to be better quarterbacks that we haven't gotten to yet that are cheaper, that I just prefer. So I'm not against the Tyrod Taylor play. I just think I have preferred choices. But also, you can't really stack him with anyone. I I don't really have much confidence in any Buffalo receiver. And then LaShawn McCoy is priced up to 8,500. So I don't really think that's usable, even though he is facing a very, very overrated Kansas City run defense. And McCoy's also coming off a pretty big game, even though the Bills got blown out by the Chargers. McCoy still had a bunch of points. So I don't think he's particularly contrarian either. I have no interest in McCoy. So I guess that'll probably have me lower or completely off Taylor. I think for this game, it, it's going to just be Kareem Hunt and then maybe some Kansas City passing game options, but I don't think it makes much sense for a game stack because looking at it now, it seems like the prices are just too high to stack, to use too many players from this game. So I agree with you on Kareem Hunt, even though Charkhandrick West has kind of taken some of the passing down reps, but also there's not as much concern for this game that the Chiefs will be losing and need to pass. So Kareem Hunt probably getting a lot of carries in the fourth quarter. I think he's the strongest play and... This, that's my main target for this game.
0: Yeah, I think that was something else last week. Is I think we both would have figured that the Chiefs are going to be leading the Giants late in the game. I think the wind seemed to have a neutralizing effect on any kind of talent in that game. So it was just like there's a bunch of football players playing. The wind is the overriding factor in the game, and the, the wind was more important than the quality of the players. So we saw Alex Smith just couldn't complete the ball to anybody. There's a lot of interceptions. So it just kind of set up a situation. And Travis where the Kelsey. Travis so that, Kelsey
1: and Shane Vereen couldn't throw the ball either.
0: Yes, they both. And one of the weirdest things ever is in a game where there was ridiculous win and neither quarterback could complete uh, passes, both teams tried a trick play where they had a skill uh, position player throw the ball, and Travis Kelsey and Shane Vereen both threw interceptions. So they were no better quarterback than Alex Smith or Eli Manning were for last week. So this next game we have a really interesting spot, the Miami Dolphins at the New England Patriots. Obviously, a strong spot for the Patriots, and I have negative confidence that the Dolphins are going to keep this game competitive.
1: Well, I think you can roster some guys from the Dolphins' passing game because they definitely will be throwing. The line for the game is Dolphins plus 16. They actually open at plus 17, so it looks like there is a little bit of sharp action. That I don't, I don't know if anyone thinks the Dolphins will keep it close, but 17 points might just be a little too high. The Patriots. Pass defense is probably now a little bit overrated because the numbers still look pretty terrible for them, but they've had a couple strong games recently. I won't give them too much credit, though, because against Oakland, it looks like the Raiders receivers just dropped every pass, and I don't think New England's pass defense did anything to make that happen. I think the Raiders receivers just played terribly. So I'm I'm not at all sold that New England's defense has gotten better. I think it's still a really beatable pass defense. And it, it might make sense to game stack here where you – play for New England to have a huge lead and use the New England running game with the Miami passing game because that does seem like a very predictable game script where the Patriots are up 10 points, 14 points at halftime, and then they run a lot in the second half, and then maybe Jarvis Landry or Devontae Parker has a big game in the second half of it.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's the big thing is, uh, and the other one, Kenny Stills also from the Dolphins side because Stills had a monster game last week and got a ton of targets. Uh, He's at 4,800. Parker 59, Landry 68. I'm going to look at the targets real quick. So Yeah, Parker Landry's barely got
1: any last week.
0: Yeah, uh, Parker, oh, Parker had nine targets last week.
1: I guess he didn't catch any of them.
0: He had four catches on nine targets, and then Kenny Stills had seven catches on eight targets. So, Parker actually had more targets. Stills just did more with his targets. Uh, but either way, I think you could justify using any of these guys in stacks with Patriots, and you just kind of hope that the Dolphins are able to complete enough passes where the Patriots are still willing to throw the ball late in the game, which the one benefit of Bill Belichick and the Patriots is that when they beat teams, they have no issue with kicking them while they're down and stomping on their throats. Cause even last week, like Brady was airing the ball out to Brandon cooks when they were up by something like 700 points in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah. I think that that's a good point. It, it doesn't really matter what the score is. The Patriots will be passing. Maybe they don't have Gronkowski on the field as much though when they have the lead, so that's a concern. But for Brady, I don't think it matters much. And then one other thing to mention about the Dolphins is Jay Cutler is questionable with uh, concussion. I don't really care who plays quarterback for the Dolphins. Whoever the starter is, I think is okay to pair with Miami receivers. And I don't, I don't think there's much of a difference between Cutler and Matt Moore anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, I think that uh, I think that Matt Moore is marginally better than Jay Cutler. Uh, especially, especially last week's Jay Cutler, who I, I think Cutler should have come out of the game with a concussion a lot earlier. Maybe he was playing with a concussion earlier than that because Cutler Cutler had a Peterman-esque performance where he, I think he had, did. He have four turnovers in the first I th-
1: half. I think it was at least three. I I definitely agree with you that a that Matt Moore is better than a concussed Jay Cutler. I think that's an easy argument to wit to
0: make. Uh, is a concussed Jay Cutler better than a non-concussed Jay Cutler?
1: I don't know. That's, uh, we, we don't have enough evidence, I don't think, on either one of those.
0: Uh, so then for the New England Patriots running backs, uh, I think Deion Lewis is my preferred option. Uh, Rex Burkhead had a fumble early last week and seemed to lose a lot of playing time after that. And I think it's kind of been trending towards Deion Lewis getting more playing time anyway. And he's, he's a better runner than Rex Burkhead. Rex Burkhead is the better pass catcher. So, assuming that the Patriots are up late in this game, I think it's going to be Deion Lewis grinding out the clock when the Patriots do go to the run.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Deion Lewis, I think, is one of the stronger running back players this week. He's been priced up a bit from forty-two hundred to forty-eight hundred, but I still like him. And then it's still then, pretty cheap. Yeah, it's still it's still a lot cheaper than most other starting running backs. And then the New England passing game, though, I'm I'm not really sure what to do with them because Brandon Cooks is still usable at seventy-one hundred for sure, but Gronkowski at sixty-nine hundred. I think also was playing hurt last week. Uh, He was sick this week. I think today, actually, he missed practice uh, because he was sick. So he'll be in the lineup most likely, but if he's limited or playing under the weather or whatever it is, it's not like Gronkowski's cheap. So I don't know. I mean, it might be a better week to go cheap at tight end, but he's, he's in consideration. I'm just not really sure what to do with Gronk yet.
0: Yeah, I think he's okay. I don't think he's as strong as a play as he was last week. Obviously, the results from last week didn't bear that out. Uh, but I still think I think Gronkowski's in play, except I'm not going to have as much exposure this week as I did last week. And then something else I've noticed is that DraftKings has priced him at 6900 which I would consider to be a strong price for Rob Gronkowski any week.
1: Oh, and he, then uh, something before we move to the next game, I actually have to mention something from our prior game. The Chiefs just signed Darrell Revis, which I guess impacts Tyrod Taylor's game. Do you have do you have any thoughts on how Revis might be as a starting quarterback now, or if he's even going to start?
0: He's just he's just replacement level player. Like it's it's a total non factor. It's whatever.
1: Okay. Well, I guess neither of us are that high on Bill's receivers anyway. So I don't know. We can just ignore that. But thought it was worth mentioning.
0: All right, the Carolina Panthers at the New York Jets. Um, what is the Vegas info for this game, Matt?
1: All right, it looks like the Jets are a bit undervalued. The public is definitely on the Panthers' side. They opened at minus four. The line is four and a half now. 82% of the spread bets are on Carolina. Uh, I'm not going to say the Jets are really undervalued, but I guess a little undervalued. And the total for the game is 40, so it's probably just a defensive game that the Jets have a better chance to keep close than people think. But I don't don't think it's the best spot for Cam Newton and the Panthers' offense, and I don't really have any interest in the Jets either.
0: Actually, I think that both defenses in this game are relatively decent plays. The Jets' defense, uh, or whatever, they're just kind of like a middle-of-the-road defense, except they're all the way down at 2,400. Cam Newton does tend to be a little mistake-prone. So I wouldn't say that I'm high on the Jets' defense, but I think on a player where there's no ob- a week where there's no obvious value at defense, I think the Jets at 2,400 are worth using in GPPs. And then the Carolinas defense, 6th in DVOA, 8th against the pass, 3rd against the run. I think them at 3,300 are a pretty good uh, like mid-tier defense play.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, and it's definitely easier to consider the defenses when you have no interest in any of the offensive players. We don't have to worry about offensive players going against our defenses that we like. So I think that makes sense. I, I would probably lean more towards the Jets defense because there are, there are some pretty expensive defenses that... I guess are significantly more than Carolina, but the gap is maybe small enough that you just pay up from 3,400 to around 4,000 for some of the better defenses. So I don't know if I'll use Carolina much, but the Jets defense at what should be really low ownership uh, based on what the public betting looks like. I think that Jets defense call, I that makes a lot of sense.
0: All right. So a few games left. Now we're moving into the late game hammer situation because we're getting into the four o'clock games, the West coasters Uh, Seattle Seahawks at the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Seahawks defense, uh, everybody's injured right now. So what is the Vegas info for this one?
1: Okay, this looks like a game that is pretty primed for a game stack. The Seahawks are, well, they opened at seven-point favorites. They're only six-and-a-half-point favorites now, and the total's gone from 43 to 45. So it looks like that Seattle injury news with uh, Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman both out, that's having some impact on the point spread and the total and definitely makes sense. Those are two of the best defensive players in the league, two of the best on the Seahawks. But the public is still on the Seattle side. So I think it might the public will definitely be on the Seattle offense. Russell Wilson was really good on Monday night against Atlanta. Jimmy Graham was really good. I think he'll be very high owned. Doug Baldwin, not his best game with only 40 yards and a touchdown, but he's been pretty reliable all year. So those three guys I think will be very high-owned. But on the Niners side, I think you can find some pretty good contrarian value. So I like their passing game probably more than you do, definitely more than most people will like them. Uh, George Kittle at 2,800 is not necessarily going to be starting. He's been dealing with an injury the last couple of weeks. But if he's playing, I like him. Uh, but overall, I'm just high on the Niners passing game, and I think I'm high enough on the Seattle passing game that even with high ownership, it makes sense to me to use both sides and make some game stacks here.
0: Yeah, I think uh, just the tricky part is is who are we targeting? So the Seahawks pa- the Seahawks' run game, I think it's impossible to figure out who the running back's going to be. Maybe we have some clarity in terms of uh, who's starting or who's going to get more snaps based on beat reporters' information during the week. But that's been a tricky run situation, not be- only because they used so many running backs, but so many have been bad this year. And then from the 49er side – I I really like Carlos Hyde. I think that he's the safest bet for points. His volume's been really high, both in the run game and the pass game. His uh, targets the last few weeks, uh, where are they? Why can't I find this? Um, oh, here we go. Three targets, 11 targets, 9 targets, 8 targets, 6 targets. So that that's a lot of PPR points for Carlos Hyde. And then from the Seahawks side of the game, let's see. What is the passing game? I'm fine with uh, Russell Wilson has been ridiculous so far this year. I actually think that he is maybe the highest-scoring quarterback so far this year. So his game log recently, uh, actually going all the way back to earlier in the year, 37 fantasy points, 30, then 12, then 29, 39, 25, 19, and 33 last week. So Russell Wilson's been ridiculous this year. He's actually been... Most of their uh, running game. And then for wide receivers, what is Doug Baldwin at now? Baldwin's only at 7,000. I think that he's a reasonable guy to pay up for. Tyler Lockett is at 4,600. His targets recently 52887. I'm fine with him as a fairly cheap second receiver option. And then at tight end, Jimmy Graham at 5,800, I think that that's a usable play also. This is a good spot for the Seahawks passing game and a good way to stack them with Carlos Hyde.
1: Yeah, the Niners are also worse against the pass than they are against the run, so I think it's a fine move to just ignore Seattle's running back situation. It does seem like um, with—now I'm blanking on who it was that got injured for them on Monday night, but J.D. McKissick ended up taking over all of the touches— but I don't know the status of Eddie Lacey or Thomas Rawls. So I think it was Davis who got hurt for them. Um,
0: but I don't he, even think he was in the player pool last week, though.
1: He might not have been, but.
0: Yeah, he, he is this week. He is. Uh, uh, Mike Davis is the uh, min price, and he has already been ruled out for Sunday.
1: So maybe it becomes a timeshare between McKissick and Lacey, and then possibly Tom, Thomas Rawls if he's back, but. It's just so hard to predict that situation. So unless we get some clarity there, I think focusing on the Seattle passing game and then San Francisco, yeah, I agree with you that Carlos Hyde is the preferred play, but I do think Bethard's usable. I like George Kittle if he's starting or Garrett Selick if Kittle ends up not playing. And then San Francisco's receivers are tough. Marquise Goodwin doesn't get a lot of volume, but he has that big play potential. So I think he's fine for a game stack, but that's a that's a difficult situation too. So I may not end up stacking this game a ton, but I do think Carlos Hyde is going to be one of my favorite players. Like you said, I think he's one of the better running back values overall. And Seattle's run defense, uh, I think it's been substantially worse than their past defense. I just had it up and then I lost it. Uh, no, they've the actually th- narrowed the, thing the gap. Too is we can't really look at the numbers to make a really informed
0: decision on the quality of Seattle's defense. Because they, everybody's hurt right now. Like Richard Sherman tours Achilles. He's out for the year. Cam Chancellor got hurt. There's just so many key guys for them who are injured that it's hard to really say like how good or bad are they as a defense overall this year. They did do decently stopping the run against Tevin Coleman last week, but I, I mean, who knows? I'm I'm willing to look at them and say that at best right now, they're probably a- about a slightly above average defense, but more likely they're average to below average.
1: Yeah. They're ninth in defensive DVOA. So they're going down at least a few spots with those injuries. I think we can probably place them somewhere in the 15 to 20 range. I think I agree with that.
0: All right, so next game, the New Orleans Saints at the Los Angeles Rams. A really key piece of information for this game is that Marcus Lattimore left last week's game with an injury, and he's questionable play this week. We don't really know what his status is, but he was seen in a walking boot at practice today and wasn't able to get any reps in. The Saints have been one of the best passing defenses in the NFL this year. Uh, they actually might even be all the way up to, like, number one now. Uh Uh, They're they're at number four so far, but a lot of that is because Marcus Lattimore, per pro football focus, is the second best player in the entire NFL this year. They've Aaron Donald, number one, Marcus Lattimore, two, Tom Brady, three. So a lot of the success of the Saints' pass defense has been because of Lattimore. If he isn't able to play, that's a pretty sizable downgrade to their pass defense.
1: Yeah, I think it does make the Rams' passing game usable. They are kind of expensive, well, maybe not a receiver, but Jared Goff is expensive, so I don't know if I want to stack the Rams as a result of that, but using some of their receivers does make sense. What do we do with uh, with uh, Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara this week? I, like, I think they're not even usable at this point, given their ownership, but this is also a really tough matchup. So the Rams are 20th in run defense, but they've been trending towards better than that for a while now. I think they were in the bottom three teams at some point this year, and they've just been yeah, it was slowly at, it creeping was at up.
0: The, uh... The beginning of the year, before Aaron Donald came back, they were like last against the run, and then Aaron Donald came back on limited snaps, and they were still bad, but not quite as bad as they were before. And like I was saying, pro football Focus, as Aaron Donald rated as the number one player in all the NFL this year, he's actually been number one three years in a row, including this year, so that's pretty ridiculous. He's the best run stopper in the NFL. So since they've gotten Aaron Donald back, they've been uh, about average to slightly above average. So just for that reason, I'm looking at, uh, like regardless of anything else, like even just looking at the price or anything, I would say that the Saints run game, it's not really a great spot for them, it's kind of like an okay spot, but then we consider the ridiculous prices of Ingram and Kamara, and I'm going to look elsewhere at running back. I would prefer to use Kareem Hunt if I'm paying up this week.
1: Yeah, and he's roughly the same price as both Ingram and Kamara, who are both at their most expensive prices this season, so I'm definitely off them, and then... The ownership, I think, can be pretty easily predicted that it's going to be high. It's always high for those guys. But the Vegas information is very, very heavy Saints offense. So the Rams are two-and-a-half-point favorites, but the public is on New Orleans with 63% of the spread bets and 81% of the money line bets. And the total for the game is 53. So this is going to be a very popular spot for the people that look at Vegas lines to make their picks, and I think that is a very large percentage of the people who play DFS And with the public on the New Orleans side, I think it will favor New Orleans more, even though the Rams are actually favored in the game. But there should be pretty heavy ownership on both sides. So I don't know, maybe you can go contrarian a little bit using a number two or number three Rams receiver. I think Sammy Watkins will probably be fairly low owned, but I don't have much interest in using really anybody else from the game. They'll be high owned and... It's kind of hard to predict where the Rams passing game will go with Robert Woods out. And I'm just low on the Saints overall this week relative to the field. So maybe it's just Sammy Watkins or no one at all for me.
0: I like Cooper Cup a lot better than Sammy Watkins. So Sammy Watkins has just not gotten a lot of targets this year. Cooper Cup last few weeks, seven targets, seven targets, five targets, ten targets. I think since Robert Woods has already been ruled out, I think that that Cup is going to be the Rams top uh, receiver this week. I think he's going to get a lot of volume. And then if Marcus Lattimore is out, I think this is a really strong spot for Cup.
1: Yeah, I guess if Lattimore plays, then it's probably no one for either of us. And I guess my concern with Cup is how much more can his target share increase? Because it's already pretty high. So Watkins should see a bigger increase, although it may not be enough. To make him a better play than Cooper Cup. But Watkins also.
0: Woods was not playing much at the beginning of the year and Watkins was still not getting targets.
1: Yeah, that's also true. I mean, Watkins probably has more big play potential, so he's definitely riskier, but he also may have more upside. So I guess I'll certainly agree with you that Cup is safer and may have higher expected output, but Watkins could be the better GPP play. I'm just, I'm not really sure there.
0: Okay, so the uh, next game we have here is the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Just running through this quickly, Jaguars' defense is fine. I can't really see myself rostering anybody else from this game.
1: Well, the public is definitely heavy Jacksonville, and the line has moved towards Jacksonville, but it does seem like the sharp money is on Arizona. I, I am a little concerned about the ownership on Jacksonville's defense, but definitely agree it's a good spot. I'll I'll be off the Jaguars offense. They're five point favorites, but the total is thirty-eight, so shouldn't be a high scoring game, even in one of the better weather spots this week in Arizona. But yeah, it's it's not really worth talking about anyone on the Jags offense. But the Cardinals offense, Larry Fitzgerald, is pretty cheap. So even in a really tough matchup, I think he's worth considering. But this is uh this is mostly a game to fade for sure.
0: All right, final game on the slate the Denver Broncos at the Oakland Raiders. If the Raiders' offense goes off in this spot, I'm going to be very frustrated because I had a number of very high-scoring GPP lineups. I had one lineup that was near the top of all GPPs, and it was a full-game stack of uh, Patriots and the Raiders. And the only thing that really stopped it from winning GPPs and doing better was that basically we didn't really get a lot of fourth-quarter production from that game because the Raiders got blown out. So if the Raiders are going to do well in this matchup against the Denver Broncos, it would be pretty annoying. I can't see myself rostering Oakland just because it's a tough matchup, but what's the Vegas info for this one? Well,
1: I'll mention the Vegas info first. It's uh, Raiders minus five, and the total is, I think it's 40, where did it go? 43 and a half. Um, so should be a fairly low-scoring game, but not a crazy low-scoring game. But the Broncos are now 19th in pass defense DVOA. They're second against the run, so definitely no Marshawn Lynch. But they're a below-average pass defense. They've had some very, very bad defensive games in the secondary recently. They got destroyed by the Eagles and the Patriots. They gave up a decent amount of passing yardage to the Bengals last week. So I, I'm okay using Oakland again. They're cheaper than they were against New England. That. Obviously makes sense that New England is one of the easier teams to throw the ball against. But Amari Cooper is now down to 5,400. Michael Crabtree is at 5,500. I think those guys are usable. I'm not really in love with using the Raiders this week. It's not really that they let us down last week. It's not so much of that anyway. That is a little bit of a factor. Um, But... They've just gotten a lot cheaper, and the Broncos' pass defense is definitely overrated now. They've struggled a lot. So I would use Amari Cooper and maybe some other Oakland guys. Derek Carr also, 5,600. I think the other guy before that we mentioned who you like, Tyrod Taylor, I think Carr for cheaper is a better play um, just because this matchup might be easier than people think. And then the Broncos' side, they're facing the 32nd-ranked pass defense in Oakland. So even with Paxton Lynch taking over, who I don't think has started a game in his career. I think this is his first start. He's probably better than Brock Osweiler anyway, because almost anyone would be better than Osweiler. So I think there's a compelling argument to be made here that a game stack is viable, and it should be a pretty low-owned spot. And also it's the uh, last game of the 4 o'clock hammers, so that always uh, makes it a better, better pick. But it's not really
0: last. It starts at the same time as as three other games. It's just but we're the last talking one about it last in the list of, of the DraftKings games. <laughs>
1: yeah, so that's why we you got to go with it.
0: Um, yeah, I think that makes some sense. Uh, I guess I probably will have some shares of the Derek Carr, Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree trio. A bit begrudgingly, though. Um, and then I do think Paxton Lynch at four thousand four hundred. I think makes sense with Demaryius Thomas, especially if Emmanuel Sanders, uh, it looks like he's questionable and trending towards not playing this week. So I think Paxton Lynch to to Demaryius Thomas makes some sense as a GPP combination, especially because the Raiders' defense has been so bad.
1: And then one other guy I need to mention here, if Sanders doesn't play, Benny Fowler is only at 3,100. His targets have been pretty low, but they were reasonably high in the games that Sanders missed. He had six targets against the Chiefs, five against the Chargers. But he played a lot of snaps in those games. I think he started opposite Demarius Thomas, so he's someone I would definitely use if uh, if Emmanuel Sanders is inactive this week.
0: Okay, so uh, I think that's fine. Also, Benny Fowler, if Sanders is out, that will finish this week's podcast a little bit longer because we covered everything this week, even those Thursday games. You can follow me on Twitter at G. Aaronberg DFS. Matt handle is at Preaching Sense, and we're not going to have a basketball podcast for friday because we're going to be with the families for thanksgiving so that will be thrilling and then we'll be back monday for basketball assuming oh let me check the basketball schedule maybe not because i don't know if there's games that day the very least we're going to be back at some point (laughs) so i'll I'll put that we'll be back back eventually eventually. yeah we will be back eventually yeah there's there's uh there's eight games on monday so We'll record that Sunday night for Monday. Everybody have a happy Thanksgiving, and we will be back, guaranteed.